listening to Salam Doll, the podcast where Muslim women don't fit the stereotypes, we break them. I'm your host, Zara Pedersen. You can find this episode and the full archive of all the episodes on zarapedersen.com. Welcome to the show. Salam Doll, it's your girl, Zara, here. I have got for today's episode a very, very, very important subject lined up because we're going to be talking about mental health. This subject is very important to me because I have been dealing with anxiety and depression um, pretty much my whole life. Um, and I have dedicated quite a lot of my work in creating more awareness for mental health matters within the Muslim communities. So when I found today's guest, my heart rejoiced because her work truly speaks to this subject to mental health within Muslim communities in a way that I just I just can't I couldn't do I just couldn't do it or I can't do it, it, it to the same level that she's doing it she's truly doing an amazing job and I absolutely commend her for it which is also why I'm so excited to have her on today's um, episode and I'm truly excited for you guys to meet her Lubna is a qualified therapist and social worker with more than 10 years of experience in her field. She works with individuals and families with minority backgrounds and she specializes in dealing with intercultural and religious matters. She hopes to be able to break taboos and create safe spaces for her clients through mentalization-based therapy. Lubna's goal is to be able to create awareness around mental mental vulnerability and the possible treatments of it amongst people with a Muslim background. Before we get into the actual interview, I'd love to encourage you, if you listen to the episode and you could take away something from what Lubna is sharing or you think that somebody else can benefit greatly from hearing what Lubna has to say in this episode if you can take a screenshot and share it on your social media um, so that other people might be able to find this episode as well I know that I'd greatly appreciate it I know that Lubna would greatly appreciate it and I am sure that somebody sitting out there who might be going through something with their mental health um, currently and who's looking for this kind of information will greatly appreciate it as well don't forget to tag uh, both myself and Lubna in the post as well so that we can reshare it as well and spread the word even more about this particular subject. Thank you so much in advance for your support uh, in this. Um, I, I can't even begin to describe how um, valuable that is to me personally. Um, but now without further ado, I think it's just... Uh, time for us to get straight into the interview. I absolutely cannot wait for you guys to meet this wonderful and inspiring woman. Salaamu Alaikum Lubna, how are you? Walaikum Salaam, I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Zara? I'm very well, other than technical difficulties. Yeah, <laughs> that's how life should be, right? Yeah, exactly. It yeah. is what it is, you know, it's a blessing from Allah one way or another. So we're just going to roll with it. Inshallah. Yeah, nothing goes as planned. Alhamdulillah. We try to make it anyways. <laughs> exactly. We're still sitting here. So Alhamdulillah. Lubna, I'm so happy that you agreed to be uh, a guest on the podcast. I think your work, I mean, we're, we're actually quite relatively new friends on social media. And actually, it's yeah. because of my husband as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> my husband and your husband, our husband. <laughs> yeah, our friends. 
yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, I was introduced to your work by my husband and he was like, you know what? I got this friend. He's married to this like amazing woman who does this mental health stuff. And you, you need to go and connect with her and speak to her. I think you guys could do some great work together. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I found you and I was like, wow. Yeah, she's yeah. really cool. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much. Like, thank you for having me first and foremost. And I am also like, very happy to be on your podcast because I think that you have like this uh, very, very important topic, like talking to Muslim women and not making it something extra extraordinary in the media. Like every time you do something, it's something very like highlighted as something special. Like if no one does that, only that woman. And uh, <laughs> we do a lot of things and following you also is an eye-opener because I love the fact that we are a lot of Muslim women out there doing a lot of things to try to change the world one step at the time, uh, doing what we do. So thank you so much for having me and thanks to your husband for the nice and very, very kind words. I appreciate it. <laughs> my husband doesn't lie, you know, he's very good like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, my husband really likes him. So uh, he's, he really, really likes him. So alhamdulillah. So um, for the listeners who don't know you, um, or maybe they follow you, but they'd like to get to know you even more, can you just kind of like tell tell yourself a little bit about them? About Tell them a little bit about yourself. That's how it goes. <laughs> well, what can I say? I am a therapist. And if you want to sum it up to just one major topic, I would like to break the taboos in regard to mental health among the Muslim community. I have experienced that is a lot of taboos in regarding to mental health and a lot of misconceptions about what mental health is and what disease are like mental illnesses and so on. And I do different kind of works, but it's still the same topic. So I work as a therapist and I teach professionals who work with the, the Muslim community and people with a different ethnical background and do some work also on Instagram, trying to highlight some of these issues and just bringing the topic up. I think that I experienced that a lack of that while growing up and to not just sit and wait for someone else to do it. Then I just, thought, why not do it my own and try to highlight some subjects. And I see that, including yourself, that we are uh, just increasing in the amount of uh, people talking about mental health issues. And I love it. So, yeah, that's what I do. I also uh, I also work as a supervisor and, yeah, I do different things, group therapy and whatever makes sense in regard to that topic. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's a huge topic. I love like you. Yeah. I'm trying to, like to explain it simply. I'm just trying to break the taboo with mental health and with, like that's a huge that's thing. A huge, Let's just like yeah. be real here. That's a Definitely, huge thing because it's yeah. you know we're talking about quite often like highly religious people we're talking about different cultures different traditions we're talking about mixed race babies we're talking about so many things in one big melting pot and we just kind of have to try and make sense of all of it and that's like a huge task so first of all thank you for diving into that you know I think I've always kind of been interested in it you know as someone who suffered from severe anxiety and depression and it's a constant thing in my life I'm always so interested in this subject but it's a huge subject you it know. is yeah definitely it is a very big subject yeah yeah I, I don't think like if I do this it doesn't 
if I can change something in the mind of people and a couple of people or maybe 10 people or a hundred, alhamdulillah, then they can change something in their own communities. So it's not the, the thought that if I go out there doing this, then I will change everyone. That's not the point with it. The point is I, I will start something that makes it a little less fearful and makes others say maybe, okay, if she's doing this, then I can do it too. And yeah. uh, just highlighting some subjects and making them like, okay, to speak about without being ashamed because there is a lot of shaming uh, mm -hmm. around the uh, mental illnesses and just talking about it as is at, as it is the most natural thing in the world to talk about. Uh, not being something we should be ashamed of or something we should hide or anything else. And I think if someone, if a lot of women out there and men goes and talk about this subject, then maybe in 10, 15, 20 years from now, it would, for the next generation, it will be different. And that's yeah. what I hope and aim Inshallah, to yeah. yeah, I hope. <laughs> I, I, I totally, I'm with you on that prayer because it, yeah. it, it needs to happen. It absolutely yeah. needs to happen. But I'm I'm sort of, I, I would love to hear your opinion on this because this is something that I've certainly been thinking about quite a bit, you know. So we've only really recently in the last sort of, I'd say 10, 15 years, maybe even less. Um, I think especially with the uprise of social media scene in the Western world, this embracing of mental health and yeah. talking about it openly and so I'm 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 wondering if it if 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 it's going to be the right time for Muslims as well to embrace it are we do we can we do it at the same time do we have to wait and see how they do it I mean it's such a new topic for everyone I mean let alone when you start like involving religion and culture and god knows yeah. what else right yeah 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 I think that we should not wait for it for the western world to change it because we, we have a lot of resourceful, resourceful people among the Muslim community also to talk about these subjects. And these subjects are such a misconception in regarding to Islam because like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that he had created a medicine for all kinds of illnesses. He did not differentiate between mental or physical health. That's something we did. So it's very cultural. And at the same time, also, like, I have experienced that the Muslim community is very interested, actually. And especially, like, the upcoming, the new generations, maybe that the older generation are just a little bit harder to change the minds because the culture is so deep within them that maybe, like, seeking professional help, like, what would that help? Uh, and how would it help? But I think that I see that the, this new generation really wants a change because they can see how it affects their mental health. And I think we're speaking about mental health in such a different way than we used to maybe 10 or 15 years ago, also in the Western world. Like we're always talking about it. And you can see also on Instagram, everyone's talking about mental health and boundaries and so on. And I think that within the Muslim community, we have... A, some of us have a lot of troubles respecting boundaries, our own boundaries and others also, because we expect such uh, a lot of things from each other. Like how is the standard of being a good Muslim also in regarding to mental health? 
So sometimes it get questioned, like if you are suffering from anxiety or depression or anything else, like how high is your iman really? Like as if it has something to do with how high the iman is. We don't speak about it as like, we don't differentiate between mental health and spirituality. Like when you experience trauma, something else in your life, you have a trauma response. That's something created by God. That's not, that has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. The spirituality can give you a hope to maybe recover and which is very important also. But, but the thing about that, you won't be affected because if you're a believing Muslim, I don't know where that misconception comes from. And that's very cultural. And a lot of people like that I work with and what I've, I've been hearing is that they feel so much worse when the family just say, that's because you, you're not praying five times a day. That's because you're not like shaming them for, for the way they're feeling. And that's because you're not a Muslim, Muslim enough or you're not spiritual enough uh, when trauma responds and the way the brain changes in, uh, when, it, when it's, uh, I don't know, it's hit by a trauma, it's not the same thing as spirituality. And I think there is, there just needs to be more information about the subject and the matter for people to be more, uh, yeah, to, to have a nuance when it comes to mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And I, you just, you, you touched on so many subjects there and I would love to go into all the directions at the same yeah. time because I'm like, oh my God, no, this, we need to speak of it. First of all, I need to just, yes, yes, yes to what you said, you know, with, you know, God, doesn't differentiate between mental illness and physical illness that's something that we've done ourselves you know and I think that's so important to remember because I think especially when it comes to sort of um so uh, as I said I have uh, you know many 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 years of anxiety and depression behind me and Mm -hmm. and it took me many 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 years to accept that actually maybe the way forward for me is not to fight it all the time, but to take medication. Now, yeah. if I'd had high blood mm. pressure, I wouldn't even mm-hmm. hesitate. I'd take no, that, no, that exactly. medication in a heartbeat. Yeah. Mm. And when it comes to mental health, all of a sudden, we're all like, no, well, no, you should just exercise, just eat right, just do this, just pray, yeah. just read your Quran. Just... And we have all these excuses as to why we shouldn't just take what's available to mm. us, you know. And yeah. it's it's such a it's such a strange thing because I, you know, there's, you know, you, I, I'm not sh- like, no, you know, you have to, you know, if I'm speaking out of turn here, you know, you feel free to correct to me. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can have hormonal imbalances in the mind, right? Yeah, and those can tests can be difficult mm-hmm. to make or to sort of mm. to, to determine. They don't do that just on anyone. And so you could be fighting something that is just never going to go away unless you take medication. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I discovered. I was like, maybe my thing was a hormonal thing because I've done everything (laughs) except Mm. medication up to up Mm. until very recently. And oh, my God, the difference. Right. Mm. So, I mean, I just think it's a very interesting thing. You know, the whole, you know, we're the ones who are differentiating between Mm. mental and physical health, not God. So why are we making it so damn difficult for ourselves? Yeah. First and foremost, thank you for saying that, because. For people to say that out loud, it makes other people to speak about what they're dealing with and maybe taking a step forward towards like taking the medication or something else. Because 
a lot of people that approach me, they're like, oh, Lubna, I'm so against medication. That's like the first, you know, I need to do everything else and so on. And I'm also, I encourage people to try to do something else first and then see if it doesn't work, maybe you need medication. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not against that. Also, because you said, like, when we're, we're physically ill, like, everyone would go out and tell you, oh, then take this medication. And we're taking, like, I don't know, what do you call it in English? Penodila. Like paracetamols. Yeah, yeah we exactly. We're everything. taking it as if we're drinking water, you know, like, oh, I have a little headache and people are taking it. Not that, uh, that I'm encouraging that kind of behavior, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> we're taking it and it's so normal now, right? But when it comes to mental health, like, people are, the thing we need to know is when people are depressed, They're not even praying to God when they're depressed. They're lying to sleep. So people are like, oh, I'm not the spiritual matter. I just have to be have more endurance and I have to have sabr and I have to. And that's a very good thing. Like I also believe very highly in sabr, but sabr doesn't mean you only sit and just wait. Sabr means you need to be proactive. Mm. And the proactive part, I think a lot of people have a misconception about being a person of sabr, of iman, like just sitting in it and just being this, uh, you know, soldier throughout <laughs> the whole process and, and so on. While like when you are depressed and you're not doing anything about it, your spirituality is also lacking. Like you, we're not, when you feel so bad, then maybe like going up to take a shower is going to be hard. And then you, we talk about praying five times a day and reading the Quran and doing so. So it's not only in regarding to going to school and developing a business and doing all these big things in life. If, the, mm. It's the simple stuff that becomes so hard. Mm. So if we don't treat depression, then we will have maybe like I work with a lot of like teens and so on that tells me about their parents being depressed, mom sleeping for five hours a day just to cope with her life. Like, what is that? So and and when he, when they talk to the parents, it will be it's a test from God and I have to endure this. And that's fine thinking it's a test from God and we have to endure it. But while enduring it, yeah, you can also do something proactive to change mm. the situation. And that's why we need to remove these taboos and misconception. You're not a, a lunatic if you visit a psychologist or you're not you're not lacking iman because you uh, you seek someone to tell you something about how the brain works. Mm. As you you visit someone to tell you how how the leg works or mathematics or something else, the brain also has its function created by Allah. So to be taught about that how to regulate yourself, how to deal with boundaries, mental illness, self-talk, because a lot of times it's the self-talk, like running loose and making everything so much worse. Like, how can we work with thoughts? One thing is to be, uh, have sabr and just be patient and work. The other part is while I'm patient, my thoughts are not stopping. It's still running around. So how can I try to control it and try to, directed in a way that will be healthy for me so I can be that mom I want to be or I can be that wife I want to be or the sister or the friend or whatever you want to accomplish in life how can I do that and that's that's digging into the mental health issues and how to get mentally strong you have to go through that too not mm. only sit and say it's a test because I see a lot of people, a lot of young people that are suffering from different things, also anxiety and depression. It comes also from parents that haven't been treating their mental illnesses too. And 
the thing I you asked me also before we started recording the podcast, like uh, what made you like choose this path was also because I experienced like I remember in April 2000 and let me think about it. Bismillah, I think 2019, this guy was uh, shot dead in the head. And th that was a guy I knew. And it wasn't the first guy. I have experienced like someone calling me and telling me that he's that uh, due to gang violence and because there has been so many gangs, you know, Copenhagen, you heard about it. Also in Aarhus and in different cities in Denmark. And the thing was that I, some of these guys, I knew their families. And the thing I knew was a lot of these families had so much unresolved trauma and had so many uh, trauma after reaction and respond and depression and so many things that was not dealt with. So a lot of these children, they either were raised with people that was always in survival mode, like you always are like fighting with your children, or you uh, are you just giving up all the responsibility because you can't cope with your re reality, or you're sleeping a couple of hours a day. Not to say everyone was doing it, but some of these children, like when I was researching and working with the families, I noticed that there's a lot of mental illnesses that are untreated. And then I thought to myself, like that day I cried when I, when I got that call and this guy was dead, I was like, that is enough now. Like, who's going to do something about it? Who's going to talk about this matter? Who's going to talk about this subject, this misconception? Why are people not seeking therapy? Why are people not taking responsibility? Yes, the trauma is not your fault, but the healing process, we have to like take some responsibility. And then I thought to myself, you know, you can cry about it, but what are you going to do about it? And yeah. then that changed the game for me. And that's when I became an entrepreneur and started my own like journey towards this, uh, thinking to myself, there's a reason why this knocks on my door, a door all the time. Like, what can you do about it? You can't just wait for someone to create the change. How can you be in that movement? And that's mm -hmm. why I chose to be in that movement. And yeah, I don't know why, how I ended there. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> the talk. Yeah. What? Yeah. Mashallah, like Alhamdulillah for you. Mashallah to you. You, you know what you're doing is so incredible, and and I totally like resonate with that story. You know as well. You know like the whole somebody dies and or did, did or maybe not. They don't even die. Maybe they're just struggling as well. You know, and and you can really trace it back to the families. And I think especially for for some families here in Denmark, and and I believe also maybe you for you as well. You know, you have refugee families who are yeah. experiencing a lot of traumas. The parents yeah. not dealing with it. They they they. Based, it's not you can't pass on trauma but you can certainly teach bad habits and bad mental wirings right to yeah. your kids and so you're passing it on not necessarily the trauma itself but the bad behavior around certain things and you're making it okay and yeah. you're making that life right and yeah. so the rest of the world kind of has to deal with that because those individuals will go out there and deal with life in uh, quote unquote the best way that they can which isn't necessarily always the best right mm -hmm. and so absolutely you know I could see how something like that for you could could definitely trigger that response from you to be like enough yeah. because I think I see the same for me as well I was like I'm waiting for everyone else to kind of jump on board with what I'm trying to do or have been trying to do for mm. quite a few years now but nobody's really jumping on board yet because yeah. I've also been terrified of speaking of it because it is yeah. scary and you do feel like maybe people are going to judge maybe they won't understand yeah. maybe they're going to exactly. come find man you know yeah. they're going to 
do all these things. But the, yeah. the truth is that if you don't involve yeah. yourself in the change, mm. then you can't demand change either. No, exactly. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Going back to what you said with the part, like you can't pass on the trauma. You can't pass on the experience of the trauma. You can talk about it and maybe that will be something also traumatic for people to hear because the way we deal with trauma or with like harsh stories are very different. But the thing is, and you touched the, the subject, is that there's something called transgenerational trauma. And that comes from the way that the parents respond to their own trauma in their own uh, raising uh, ways, mm. how the, the ways they raise their children. Uh, like if someone experienced a traumatic experience and the, uh, the response and the after reaction were that every time a sound comes on like a little sound you'll be like oh what's happening you know that uh, shock uh, or or maybe like you feel like you your whole personality change because you don't uh, trust people anymore there can be a lot of things and that you pass on to your children yeah like the way your own reactions were you are passing on to your children because you haven't dealt with your re- reactions and the reactions they continue to live through the next generation. And the thing is that the children can also be experience this as a traumatic experience because a lot of children, they feel very alone in families like that because while dealing with their own feelings, they can go to their parents with that. Not all the time because their parents respond will be either no response or a lot of response or there, there wouldn't be maybe that, um, I don't know what you call it, that middle thing, like not being too uh, alert or a little alert, you know. The one thing you you once posted, I saw about like, uh, forgive yourself for what you were doing in survival mode. Was that what you wrote? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like while being in survival mode, we do some things that uh, we're not that aware of we're doing because every like little inch in our body is all focused on just surviving Mm -hmm. and 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 then we don't rationalize and we don't see things clearly so when when it's treated and we see things clearly then we can make more proper uh, choices for our lives and just be more in I don't know be more calm also with our children and Mm -hmm. I think that part a lot of parents are like, oh, I don't need that help. Why do I need it? Like we're managing and we're, we, but that uh, effect, the side effects are coming like later for the children in their lives where a lot of people I speak with maybe are about 20 to 40 years old and they talk about their childhood experiences with their parents, how their parents were. And a lot of it is trauma response and how it affected their lives and how it was traumatic for them. So we are passing it on to generations if we don't go in. And, and heal ourselves. So yeah. just to talk about what yeah, you're talking no, about, I, yeah. I think that's yeah. so interesting because I, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that, you know. But yeah. it makes sense, you know. You're passing on the experience or the your reactions, you know. And and yeah. when I, I think even just me thinking about like some of my mum's anxieties and stuff, how I've almost got the same anxieties, even though yeah, they're not exactly. my anxieties, or no. at least I have the same response or the triggers in my mm-hmm. body. It's really random, but yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to go back a little bit to yeah. something that you said a little bit earlier, you know, yeah. because you spoke about, you know, how 
you know people come for the iman or like they'll come for your religiosity basically yeah. or it, not in a in a harsh way but it, it'll it'll definitely for most people who are receiving it be translated quite harshly yeah. i remember this for myself when i first started out people were like oh oh you're suffering from just read your quran more just do this just do that just do this you know just keep connecting to god keep connecting to god and i was like i can't connect to god because i can't connect to me you know i have no yeah. wi-fi <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically how it felt, you know, and it was so interesting because one of the things that then, you know, has always happened for me and has been a, a, a real thing is, is that, you know, uh, especially with religion, because it's, you know, something that I was taught from, from a child, like from being a child, it was some, something very scary, you know, as well, yeah. you know, you have these huge, big, scary yeah. concepts, right? And exactly. so growing up and getting the same, like, stuff shoved down your throat when you're basically struggling I mean I couldn't have a shower and you want me to you know make uh make uh, do my uh, um what's it called my would do like yeah, five yeah. times a day and pray like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. even ha like I can't even brush my teeth in the morning yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and everything else. yeah there's yeah, so yeah. much guilt yeah. related to it because it's something so that you've grown yeah. up with as well sometimes mm. and I'm wondering why do we keep going back to that you know I think it's so incredibly damaging I found mm. it so difficult to stand by my mental health and my title as a Muslim woman when people would say these things to me because they were, from their point of view, contradicting. Mm. I think I it's think a very interesting topic that you're talking about. And thank you for asking that because it is very difficult because I think a lot of people are also raised with why can you do that? Because you're not allowed to, like not getting a, a, a clear answer. And the other part is that if you were answered, then it would be something that would frighten you and scare you. And the problem is if we always scare off people, <laughs> we live in our survival mode again. So mm. we will be so afraid of approaching the religion and afraid of being wrong. Oh, if we're not praying five times, then why should I pray one time? It wouldn't even matter. You know, all that talk about if it, it wouldn't even matter. Like if I'm drinking, then I should, might, I might as well just stay away from the Muslim community. If I'm dating, I might as well. And so on. But that's not something that came from Allah either. Like that's something cultural still. And, and I think it's very, very damaging because the thing is the brain function and the brain likes the most something it feels like it's good at. Mm. When we always talk about we're not good at this, we're not good at that, we're not good at this and that, then the mind remembers the emotion when it comes to, for example, religion. I'm not good at it. It means I need to take one step back. So the thing is, we're not creating people, we're not persuading people to get closer to Islam why I always tell them where their fault is. And just to a side note, that's not even our business. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so like, we can't even, yeah, Allah is gonna take care of that. So it's not their business. But if you want to give da'wah, you also give it in a subtle way and try to talk to the person one-on-one -on -one and see how that works. And the best da'wah is by you practicing it yourself. That's not always by talking the talk, but walking the walk, as you say. And the thing is, if we go back to the mind and the brain, it's, it functions the best and it wants to do more of what it's good at. So if we always tell people what they're not good at, the most of the time it actually creates a distance between them and the religion because they feel they're never good enough. So mm. they won't even feel like approaching Islam or getting better at 
at their religion or be more spiritual because they think that they might as well stay away. And that's the thing I'm, I'm, when I work with a lot of, a lot of people, they talk to me about that, like not feeling good enough, not being Muslim enough, like in all areas of, of their lives. And, and also have been raised with the image of Allah, that he's the one that punishes and so, so on. And I think it's so unfair. Like Allah has 99 names and it's mercy and all of it, like forgiving and so on. It, it appears so much. So mm. why are we holding on to these? And I think a lot of times it's also the trauma response of the parents because when you feel like you don't have any tools because everything is what fight or flight mode or something, then your response will be punishment. Don't do this because then you're gonna, it's the easiest way to get children to do what you want to do on yeah. the short run. But on the long run, it will be so damaging. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that now, that they have been raised with this, don't do this because you will be punished. And if you're not punished by Allah, you will be punished by the community because then they will tell you how bad of something or you should be ashamed or you should be. And the thing is, when you shame people, it creates like also if you go psycho, if you, you research it and what is the side effects, it is that people withdraw and have more like of a violent tendency, not everyone, but people like feel like, okay, so you say I'm not good enough, then I don't want to be uh, near you. I just, I, I just uh, lie in bed and put the, I don't know, something over my head and I'm not going to be um, around you anymore. Then you don't have the chance of giving that what to people actually, mm. because you're scaring them off. Um, again, to your question, I think it's a misconception and something like it's people are misunderstanding, like how to approach people. Like that's the main thing, you know, how do you talk to people? How do you respect their boundaries? Again, boundaries. Like mm -hmm. if you're not seeking it right now, it won't be a da'wah. If I, I'm like all over you with all the quotes of the Quran and so on, it's too much. Like also mm -hmm. having like uh, some, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? The, um, have it, have the feeling of the situation. Like, who are you talking to? Are they responding to what you're saying or not? Are they inviting you to the talk or are they setting boundaries? And when they're setting boundaries, are you respecting that or aren't you? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, seriously, I'm like, I'm nodding my head <laughs> so vigorously over here. There's so many things. Yeah, again, 100% agree. And I think it's so interesting sometimes to hear these things from other people, because it's like, I've been preaching it and preaching it and preaching it. And it's like, oh, my God, thank you, because now I feel validated in my opinion. <laughs> which sounds That's so why I'm here to validate you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, but it's, it's really nice because I feel yeah. like these are topics that a lot of people are very scared to talk about, unfortunately, which is, yeah. you know, like we, we, we are raising, or not all of us, but a lot of people have been raising their kids with the fear of Allah rather than the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of Allah. And that fear, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I was raised with it and I, I definitely know now today you know at a tender age of 34 you know that my anxiety also had a lot to do with the way that I perceived God and my existence and, and what would happen to me if I did something bad you know judgment yeah. and hellfire and all these things yeah. Yeah. and it played a huge role to the point where my anxiety in particular really attached itself to my religion making it impossible for me to pray without having an anxiety attack it made it impossible for me wow. to you know read my Quran without getting an anxiety attack because it was so scary yeah, it was so I was so scared of it. 
And now I can because I've I've come to understand and I'm working on it and everything like that. So now I can do it. It definitely helps again taking medication because yeah. it helps manage my hormones and everything. Mm. So it helps now. But it's this whole idea that we're basically raising generations of which is good. God fearing is good, but God terror. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's a big difference. Yeah, the big yeah. difference. But also, if you don't like, one thing is to talk about like the commands from Allah and you have to do one thing. Yeah. But at the same time, like preach the mercy and be so focused on the mercy part. And I think a lot of people forget that part. Also, when you said I like every time I opened the Quran or I was praying and so much, you remember because we have an emotional memory. Like mm -hmm. every time when it's touched upon Islam, you will be frightened. And, the, and that one, like, that will maybe in some cases motivate people, but a lot of people, they will be afraid to do it. And some people are talking to me about, like you're, you also are, that they have panic attacks while praying because everything they feel not enough in front of Allah too. Not because Allah told them they're not enough because they're either their parents, the community, something they did in their past or something else. And Allah is like forgiving of the past. Also not recommended to even talk about the past. The past is the past. We are in the present and the future, inshallah. You know, it's not even recommended. We're not supposed to talk about the past, but like the cultural aspect of it is we're holding onto it. And, you know, you used to do this and now you think you're like that and you're like, just yeah and yeah, that's not so that's not from god either like no. we need to talk about god and and try to dive more into his 99 name and not one like he's punishing you know like but yeah is there something in particular that you're finding uh more people coming to you with or is it is it super diverse is there something like when we're talking especially ethnic or muslim um people mm. What what are you finding that sort of tends to repeat itself in your work? It's it's very diverse, very right. much. But the thing is, I'm experiences uh, experiencing is a lot of people talking about trauma from the past and also boundaries in regarding to parents because parents mm. has a high status in Islam. Like, how can I set boundaries uh, when it comes to parents and still have that con spiritual connection with God? Because I don't want to lose that with God, but the thing my parents are doing is unac unacceptable and talking about that. And the thing is that I would share with you is I work a lot of with people uh, about setting their own bare minimum like what what should I live up to uh, that my parents won't tell me? Because a lot of times it's a lot of expectations, but no one are like setting a standard for, for what expectations they should reach and then it will be good enough. A lot of times they feel that they're running fast and it's everything they're getting back is ungrateful and not doing it good enough and so on. So what can you do as a bare minimum to please yourself so you don't feel like you're always not doing a good uh, a good enough job because your parents are not going to say that mm -hmm. if you're working with parents all your life that you have been running so fast to please them and it's never enough and they're always like pushing your boundaries not respecting your boundaries 
at some point in your life, you have to think about if I want to maintain a relationship with them and I want this to continue, I have to set my own boundaries and then I have to make a bare minimum. Like what should I live up to that I will be pleased with? And what should I live up to that can make me maintain the relationship on the long run? And that means maybe reducing time with your family, also saying no to things that are not acceptable and still being there when it's, when it is needed. Like if your parents really are sick or something else, but also say, no, it's not an act of, uh, a non, a non-Muslim act. If you say, I don't know what you say, but a non-spiritual act, not, it's not saying no, it's okay. Because you have to also think about the long run. If you don't say no now, maybe like the worst case scenario would be, you won't have a relationship with your parents. So how can we like, try to prevent that if that's what you're seeking or aiming to maintain. And a lot of times they talk about maintaining the relationship with their parents, but having a very hard time saying no and not feeling they're good enough ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting topic and also really, really good advice right there. So if you're sitting out there and you're going through something, just take what's already come there um, in advice, because that's actually really, really valuable advice, I think. And um, I think it's such a funny one because I think that's something that we see a lot with young ethnic minorities, especially in Denmark. And I I, I would assume also in many other places, I think like I can't speak for everywhere else. I'd obviously lived in London as well. And I saw the same things there. I think when you're, especially if your parents are from a different culture or they have parents who brought them up with a very different culture with very strong cultural beliefs and they're bringing it on to their kids and then they have the culture of whatever country they're living in that has very opposing cultures I think you find yourself very often in this like position where one side's telling you to do one thing and the other side's telling you to do another thing and you feel so Mm. stuck between a rock and a hard place and we are obviously being taught to respect our parents and we can't defy our parents we can't even say was it oof to your mom (laughs) so like you're you're basically in in a lot of ways being told like you just do whatever they tell you all the time but that's obviously not the case because doing that can also lead to so much misery depression anxiety you know it's trauma even you know because you could be asked to do stuff that is so outside of your comfort zone you know totally yeah and and you know so so it's like about finding that like the 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 healthier boundaries where you say you know find the bare minimum for you you know make yourself exactly exactly and also like okay it could be simple things like oh I want to help my mom cleaning or something else I would like to shop for my parents or something but it doesn't mean that you have to say yes to every like a tea gathering with the aunties or something else that you really don't want, you know, like how can I be beneficial in something that I really want to help with? And at the same time, say no to something else, because as you said, uh, not saying oof, not so. And the problem is with that, not the problem with not saying oof, but uh, not being like uh, talking down to your parents and yelling at your parents and so on. It's like that focus. And the problem is with not setting boundaries is most of the times when we then say no, we say it in an explosive way. Yeah. And that is what happens. And do not say oof to your parents. Then start before how can I set boundaries while maintaining my akhlaq and saying no, I can't control how my mom reacts or my dad, but I can control the, the fact that I want to be respectful while saying so. So yeah. that is the thing that we have to do before we get explosive. And yeah. that is the thing, being explosive and talking filthy to your parents, that is not encouraged in any way in Islam. But I 
alhamdulillah for the fact that it doesn't say you can't you know you you can't when 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 you're feeling sick you can't say no or you can't say anything you just have to do everything in a respectful manner and you have to be helpful so how can you help yourself while doing so help your parents so yeah. you can maintain the relationship on the long run yeah I think that's really interesting as well, because that, that's the thing, as you say, you know, it's not about, you know, yeah, of course, you have to be respectful for, to your parents. And, and yeah, you sh- shouldn't say off. But the, the, the point is, you shouldn't even let it get to there as yeah. parents and as the kids as well, you know, yeah. make it as as easy for both parties to come in and set the boundaries that are necessary for it not to explode. And the problem mm-hmm. is that m- most people allow it to explode, or yeah. they let that submissiveness drown to the point where they lose themselves and then they become you know hugely depressed or something like that and then they do for the rest of their life because they can't set boundaries with anybody else because really if you can't set boundaries with your parents you know it becomes even more difficult to set boundaries around you as well right that's where you learn it essentially I, i would assume right I, you, can, you can you can correct me no, if I'm no, wrong. No, no, no. That is where you learn it. I think, yeah. And also think it's also the experience you have by setting boundaries and maybe get an, a, an explosive response uh, uh, back, you know, because they are maybe operating from a trauma response. Also, again, uh, fight or flight. Um, but the thing is also like in education, a lot of people, they're like, okay, my mom said this, is, this would be a good ed- education for me, or my dad said. And some people, as you said, are so submissive, they, they maybe pursue an education that's nothing like what they wanted. And the problem with that is at some point in that education, some people are getting like mentally ill because they're not doing that from themselves and it's not a, a, a easy task to take an education it requires something from you and some muscles and in the worst case it creates resentment because oh i did it for you and you ruined my life and i'm doing and that's what i'm seeing i'm mm. seeing it it creates resentment and it was your fault and that's why i'm not happy with my life right now that people are having these kind of conversation with their parents they could actually have had the conversation, mom, I respect you. And I know you would you would think that this would be a very good education for me, but I would really like to do this. So thank you for your support. But this is more the right thing for me and have like that conversation. And maybe your mom, you won't be happy. Yeah. But, you know, then you can do other things that will make your mom happy. But you have to also in the process, think about what are your needs, because if you only do what your parents want, at some point it creates resentment. Mm. And that's what I'm experiencing with yeah. a lot of people that are talking about this and how many effects it had on their lives that they chose whatever their parents wanted. And a lot of people are talking about resentment right now. Yeah, I can see we're coming up on time here, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I could <clears throat> continue talking with you about yeah. this for hours because I find, I find it so interesting. But yeah. but before we sort of round, round up here, I'd, I'd like to just if you have any advice, you know, and, and, and any words, anything that comes to your mind about just that, you know, because I think, as you say, you know, that's something that you see coming up. I've seen it as well in a lot of my clients. This is a thing that keeps coming up, especially, and no offense to young boys, but especially for young girls, you know, that, that they, they have a very difficult time setting these boundaries. And so there's, I guess, a couple of questions in here and feel free to answer as much as or as little as you feel feel um, called to do. Um, number one, is it ever too late to start setting these boundaries? Uh, number two, what's the best way when you, if you're somebody sitting out there and she's 16, 17, 18, and she wants to start setting boundaries, how does she best go about it? And number three, who's responsible here? The parents or kids? Okay. 
Okay, I heard your first question, and the next it was uh, the internet uh, connection went oh, off. So I'll right. start with the first with question. The first question yeah. Uh, yeah, about if it's too late to set the boundaries. I would say no, it's not too late to set boundaries. The thing is that if people are used to you just saying yes to everything, it will be just something they're not used to. So they will respond. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? When you cover your yeah. mouth, it's a little difficult. Ah, <laughs> oh, fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, then a lot of people, when they try to set boundaries, they will get different reactions. And sometimes that reaction will, will make them think that they should not set any more boundaries because it was uncomfortable. And with everything that we do that's new for us, it will be uncomfortable. It's like driving a car for the first time. You will, you will like be afraid of crashing or something else. Like everything we have to rehearse doing. And I think it's a lot of people stop setting boundaries because of the reactions they get. And sometimes we overanalyze where people are thinking when we set boundaries the first time because, oh no, I'm used to saying yes. So what do they think about me? And I want to be this nice person, but at the same time, I need to take care of myself. And I think setting boundaries in a very good manner, like I always focus on the like the manners while setting the boundaries. And that's like the most important thing because I think the time when it goes wrong is when we set boundaries while being like very mad or something else, you know, then it comes off as explosive or passive aggressive or something. So if we focus on how can we say it, but say it in a calm way, then we took control of the way it was said, but we can never take control of how people are reacting. Mm. Only how we're going to respond to that if they react. Yeah. yeah. So no, no. that's so the, the answer. No, it's never was- too late. Yeah. <laughs> so the second question was, if um, if there's somebody sitting out there now, a young girl sitting out there now, 16, 17, maybe younger, maybe older, and she says, I feel like I want to start setting boundaries, what kind of advice would you give her? Um, I would give her, like, sometimes we also have to choose our battles. Like, what is the main things that you don't want to compromise with? These are very important to me. Write them down and then try to consider how can I say them in the most uh, calm way and how can I say them in the most respectful way? Because we also have to respect the other person's emotion. Maybe we don't agree with it and we don't have to agree with it, but we have to respect that their point of view are maybe different than ours and just have the empathy in the conversation and still have the conversation. And maybe you won't get your parents on board the first time, but in the conversation, like talking about it several times and still maintaining the calm and the respectful, though it's very hard when you have parents reacting in a highly way, you know, like in a, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, but, but still like take control over your own reactions. That's what I think will be the best advice from here. That's a beautiful advice. The last question, and then we're going to round up here because we're going into overtime, is um, where do you reckon most of the responsibility lies? Is it with the next, this young generation who is sort of more embracing of mental health illness, or is it the the parents who have to come in and and do the work? Like, where do you feel like, who's carrying most responsibility? Uh, if we talk about the parents as we have the new generation of parents, like in their 20s and the 30s, you know me is it me or the next generation the older generation yeah Yeah. just to be specific (laughs) about that Uh, I think it's the new generation because I think that our parents did it as good as they could not that it it ever makes it okay to experience like a lot of harmful things but I think they did it as they knew how to do it so if we start like 
we don't, especially myself, I don't think I benefit of doing the blame game. So when I am highlighting these things, it's not to shame our parents or talk about how many ways they did it wrong at all. It's by, okay, they did it that way. What can we learn from that? And how can we change that? So I think it would be very good to the next generation. Not that I have no belief in the older generation, but I think there is just uh, more awareness uh, in regarding to the next, ge- the new generation. Also, because we're on social media, a lot of us, and we are represented to different ways to uh, to take care of our mental health and so on. So I think it's going to be easier to yeah. break the culture because also we are. Uh, between cultures in this society yeah absolutely that's great advice uh, all around and lovely lovely note to finish on you know we have the responsibility now to try and and change things for the better learning from the past Mm. and then moving on forward from here on in Lumna um, if anybody wants to connect with you where can they go and find you Um, I'm very active on Instagram on Lumna uh, ment- uh, mental sundhed. It says mental health, but sundhed in Danish. And on Facebook also Lubna Hilehel. And I think you said you will put a link or something to my because my last name is difficult. So <laughs> people maybe you'll get it wrong while typing. So yeah, and also have a website Lubna dot dk. Yeah, and, and a little bit more about my work. work. Yeah, so if they want to work with you, they go to your website first. Yes. Absolutely. So as as Lubna said, I'm going to obviously link all of um, Lubna's socials in the um, show notes. So if you want to connect with her or work with her, then please do go ahead and check it out. I can uh, honestly say that her her Instagram game is lit. So for for those of you who are interested, definitely go in. I think you do mainly do in Danish, however, correct? Yeah. Mm, So um. I, w- I would suggest if if you're uh, a, mo- uh, a a different if you're English speaker any other language then probably just send her a private message and see if you can figure out some way of working together inshallah. Yeah, exactly, inshallah. Lugna, thank you so much for um, joining us today. It was so so incredible to hear everything that you had to say, and I know that there'll be so many people who can take away so much from our conversation. Thank it you so much for having amazing. me. Yeah, absolutely amazing work that you do. Um, You can be proud. Your parents can be proud. Everybody. (laughs) You can also be proud of yourself. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. I am. (laughs) Okay. I'm happy to hear that. Well, okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in to today's episode. If you want to connect with me elsewhere, you can find the links to my socials on zarapedersen.com. Before you go, I'd love it if you could leave me a review or tell a friend about the podcast. And if you're new here, you might as well subscribe. You'll be back. I know it. You know it. There's no point in delaying the commitment. Welcome to the sisterhood, babe. Until next time, please don't forget to live in love.